What up, fam? What what up? What up, fam? Does anybody really say that? Like, does anybody actually say that without trying to prove something? You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you can't just walk up to your uh, friends, a group of friends, and you're like, "What up, fam?" You know, I mean, maybe you can if you're like, uh, if you're younger. Maybe like if you're 18 or, or 20, maybe you can get away with it. But but when you're 35, like, can you get away with that? Like, can you get away with walking into a group of friends and you're like, "What up, fam?" Because I see that. Like, I see people doing that on Twitter and um, on on social media. Like a man who's nearly 40 years old captions, "What up, fam?" You know, I'm 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 guilty of that too. You know, I've done that a few times. Twitter fam, hey Twitter fam, can you help me doing this and that? Twitter fam, Twitter fam, shut up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that doesn't make sense. Okay, anyway, uh, th- th- honestly, this podcast has nothing to do with this intro or, or whatever I just said. But now is you know I'm going to give you the real intro. So um, I have uh, today on the podcast uh, Fatima Al Dahiri who is an Emirati MD uh, living in Boston. And uh, she is a pediatric infectious disease fellow uh, from Harvard Med. So pretty big stuff, pretty big stuff. I mean, she's, she's got the cred, if you know what I'm saying. She's got a street cred. Okay, maybe not street cred, but she's got the medical cred. You know what I'm saying? Like she knows was going down with this virus. So um, she gives us her input about the coronavirus situation and what's happening. And what's cool is that we kind of reflected um, on it from a global perspective because she lives in Boston and she's working at a hospital out there. Um, but at the same time, we kind of reflected at the uh, local uh, story here and what's happening in the UAE, which is which is nice to have that perspective, especially from an Emirati uh, doctor. So um, I really appreciate that she came on the podcast. She was uh, very gracious, and um, you know I know she lives in the U.S. and uh, getting her to get on the podcast, um, you know, was probably difficult for her because um, she's a busy woman, and um, and our timing is just not aligned, you know. So that's what it is, coronavirus, guys. I mean, seems like it's staying for a while. <laughs> so. Oh man, I feel like I've been at home for 430,000 months. Do you know what I mean? Like my wife and I were just talking earlier and she was like, can you believe we've been at home for like five weeks now? Five weeks, like we've never been home this long. Um, But real talk, real talk, guys. Let's let's do some real talk right now. We got to be grateful, right? We have to be grateful. Um, If you're at home and you're safe and you're not sick, um, we got to be grateful. Alhamdulillah, you know, um, that we are with loved ones and, or we can, or if you're living alone, um, you're, you're, you're healthy, but you can still reach out to your loved ones. And that's, that's a great thing. That's a great thing, guys. It's it's always a good thing. It's always a good thing. And and in those, uh, in this time, in those months, it's actually just been 40 days, but um, in this time, I, you gotta, you gotta think about like, damn, what does this all mean? You know, there must be like some kind of divine message here, you know? Um, This thing feels like nature's revenge. And I I mentioned this in the podcast at some point with Fatma. Um, And I'm not trying to be Alex Jones here or anything, but but it does kind of feel like like nature's revenge, right? If you think about it, like it originated from a um, wet market in China. And uh, if you see, the, like, if you watch these videos online about these wet markets, um, that's like a lot of animal abuse in these wet markets. You know what I mean? Like, you see a dogs and cats and, and wildlife stacked over each other, bleeding over each other, seeing other wildlife get slaughtered in front of them. And so it's like super, like, non-humane, if that makes sense. It's almost like we neglected nature and we've like really fucked with nature for so long that nature struck back almost. So that's what I think. It's such a weird concept to think about. But uh, I'm sure all of us took a step back and thought about like, damn, like this is much bigger than all of us. And like it's affecting literally every single person on this planet. So there's something big at play here. Um, All right, guys, I'm not going to babble too much about this. But, you know, I just wanted to share some of my thoughts. Um, 
yeah, some people are calling this the great equalizer and everybody's at home. Everybody's just, you know, waiting this thing out. Um, but hey, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bore you with this intro. I'm just gonna take you straight to this conversation with the doctor. Um, enjoy this episode of Bass and Meats, and um, I look forward to see you on the next one. All right, everybody, have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time and a wonderful day, and and I hope we all get through this together. All right. Boom. <laughs> that's us. That's us. Now we're live. We're not right. real. We're not live. We're we're recording, but you know we're. I'm yeah. just saying this. Everything that you're saying now is going to go into the podcast. No pressure. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. It was, I mean, just for people who um, are watching or listening, um, I met you through Twitter um, mm-hmm. from a retweet. Somebody retweeted you, and I was like, "Oh, she seems cool," and I want to have a conversation with her. So uh, there we are today two days later we're on a zoom call you're on the other side of the planet and uh tell us a bit about yourself uh my name is uh, fatma Bahri. i mm-hmm. am a pediatric infectious disease uh, fellow uh one of the uh teaching hospitals uh here in boston um part of the harvard medical school and so um I did say like a jumble of words, but pediatric infectious disease mainly means I am a pediatrician by training and I'm uh-huh. uh, pursuing more training in the subspecialty of infectious diseases. So that's what it means. And uh, I did my medical school back in the UAE and I've been in the US for the past six years for my training. Uh, so I did my residency, which is training in pediatrics, which is like the field of medicine pertaining to children. Um, and then now I'm doing the second half of my training, which is the subspecialty of infectious diseases in children. So I hope that's a little clear. That's, that's very impressive. I am, uh, you know, it's just, it's so, it's so interesting talking to, uh, to doctors and, uh, and people in the health industry because, um, you know, I feel like I'm learning <laughs> every time, every time I speak to, uh, somebody, I feel like I learned so much, um, so look, six years in the U.S. and you've been doing this, and I don't know how much you thought or how much you expected for you to be in a situation like the situation you're in today, um, yeah. where you know the whole world has changed, you know, in the past month. Yeah, I I did not expect this. I think I have a lot of. Um people in the hospital who from other specialties stopping me and they were like, what does it feel like to be an infectious disease doctor in the middle of a pandemic? And I literally was like, I, I didn't even think that I will be in a pandemic to begin with. <laughs> I mean, there's always this theoretical risk that um, as infectious disease doctors, like we walk into anything and everything, but I never expected that that will happen in the midst of my training where the whole world like comes to screeching like, just halt and suddenly don't know what infectious disease doctors are um yeah the most valuable doctors in the world right now i want to say we're all looking to you for answers it's pretty cool but at the same time it's pretty frightening but um i think it's it's just an absolute privilege and in in an honor to be um doing what i'm doing at such crazy times so Yeah. yeah It's pretty crazy. So, you know, tell me how it was. So you, you're based out in Boston, right? So you're, you were telling me earlier that you're training and how was that, how was that like for you when, um, you know, um, you started seeing that change, you know, like you started seeing that, okay, we're moving towards an unprecedented territory. How was that like in the hospital? How was that like when you had these conversations amongst your peers and um, and obviously for people who are listening right now, we're talking obviously about the coronavirus, the COVID-19. And, um, and I want to know from somebody like you who was there and experiencing that firsthand, how does that feel like? I think, to be honest with you, and I think a lot of people in, in, in my field would maybe admit to it, maybe not. We, I didn't expect it to be, to get this bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, like, we've... I've, even though I had, I was not in training at that point, I was in med school, but, you know, we lived through 
SARS-CoV-1, which is the first SARS, through MERS, through the Zika. So like a lot of a lot of uh, epidemics, but I didn't expect it to be of this proportion. So I was initially, and if if people were following me earlier, I was one of those people who didn't dismiss it, but said, you know, guys, we have flu is killing more people than Corona right now. So I was that kind of camp. And I think this virus humbled me a lot. Mm. Uh, the mortality uh, rate of um, SARS-CoV-2. So when I say SARS-CoV-2, I mean the COVID mm. because it has 80% similarities to its first cousin, the SARS-CoV-1. So it's not as fatal as MERS and SARS-CoV-1, but it is just, it's very infectious. That's why we see it spread a lot. So I have, I was humbled by, by this virus, um, like many people are. Um, and so I think the conversation changed from, you know, guys, we have flu killing more people in the U.S. than COVID right now when it started in China and even in the UAE. I would tell people, you know, get your flu shots. You know, people people refuse vaccines, you know, when they have vaccines and they're worrying about, you know, another virus. But um, and I hope I'm, I'm, I'm being tangential, but I hope this experience also um, help people realize this is a world. This is a world without a vaccine right now when people are complaining about, <laughs> you, yeah. know, you know, the anti-vaxxers, like the, the diseases that we have. So. I think it's maybe just sum it up. I have been very humbled by this virus, even though you know it's within the study of my field and and, and all. But um, and I think the conversation have changed from the beginning uh, amongst my peers of like when it first started in China and how it hit us. I think um, I still remember the exact point where I started freaking out mm. because I'm not an alarmist and um, people have been asking me about it. I'm like, you know, I'm not concerned. I'm not concerned. And I think maybe it's, I'm losing count of my days, but maybe like a month and a half when um, the UAE students and trainees in the, in the U.S., where, as you know, the government has asked all UAE citizens uh, across the world to come back to the UAE because UAE went on lockdown. So before that happened, people were like texting me and like, what do you think? And I seriously said, go back. This is before the U.S. became number one. This is before I'm like, the, things are getting serious to so go back. So, wow. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's been a very humbling uh, experience and we're, we're learning on the go. We don't, we don't know everything. Things are changing. I mean, there's been, like, there's dozens of paper every day. I think the one thing that this pandemic, the silver lining of this pandemic is that you see scientists and physicians across the world coming together and researching one topic. So it's it's pretty overwhelming just to see like, you know, the the, the support in that regard in the scientific and research community. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this is also hopefully a chance for the world to reevaluate um, what is important. And now, um, as you know, a lot of areas that are around the world, this pandemic is hitting more than others because it is exposing healthcare disparities. Now you know what the importance of healthcare. You know what I mean? Like you don't know, you don't realize the importance of a hospital unless you get sick. Right. So now the whole world has an idea of like, oh, now maybe we need to t- pay attention to our healthcare. Maybe we need to pay attention to the wages of healthcare workers, their protection, et cetera. Right. So I hope. Um, and and the, hopefully, like, there will be an end to this, inshallah. There will be an end to this. It's just that what are the lessons that we take away from it mm. is, is what will be uh, of utmost importance. So wh- when was it for you when you saw, when you're talking about the, the, the moment you've, you've, um, you've realized the importance for this? And um, was there like a scientific um, reasoning behind it? Did you think like, oh, well, this does not look like the first SARS. This looks like a like a different sort of beast and um, and it's getting more serious. Is it uh, purely because of the infectious rate or is it because um, you've seen something else that alarmed you? So it's, I mean, it's twofold. It's because of um, a measure that epidemiologists use and infectious disease researchers use called the r naught, which is basically if one person is infected, how many other people can that person infect? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, you know, and that is sort of 
a little bit changing because we don't have the exact denominator. We're not testing everybody to kind of have that number. But from, um, you know, earlier on, we know, we knew that it was, it was infectious. Um, we knew that the mortality rate is not as bad, thank God. Uh, we know facts like children are not hit as bad. So I'm a pediat pediatrician um, and I don't see it in kids. Or they, when kids get, get it, they don't get it as bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's based on um, those studies, epidemiological studies. I think the one, um, going back to, to your question, when did I realize, um, when was I alarmed, is when Italy got hit. Mm-hmm. And to me, this was a country with a healthcare better than the U.S., Right. The population much smaller than the U.S. And they were and they were like struggling. This was like the mouth of the dragon. This was like, you know, it it was it was surreal. It was surreal just going into Twitter and seeing Italian doctors just like tweeting from the front lines and saying we are being destroyed. And I think earlier reports from Italy is what like basically alarmed me if the country with with. a very somewhat solid healthcare fell apart, then um, then this is serious. Right, right. That's very interesting. So, how is it for you? I mean, uh, I got I mean, I got a lot of questions. First, you talked about uh, being a, um, a pediatric uh, doctor and and how this affects kids. Now, one thing that I am very curious about is, you know, as a as a new father, I. I I'm super concerned about my son, you know, like he's, he's four months old and, and, you know, you, you, you get paranoid about yourself. Like, Oh shit, what if I have it? You know? Um, but then you get more paranoid when you don't want to carry it onto kids. And then you read the papers and you read uh, the tweets and you read, you listen to podcasts and, you know, the consensus is, well, it seems like it's not hitting kids as hard. Um, but then you also see like some contradicting news where you see um, a 12 year old or whatever, who just, you know, got diagnosed and died from it or something. So I know one case probably isn't, you know, it's not, it's not good for scientific, uh, you know, uh, information, but, uh, but why is it generally not hitting kids like it's hitting adults or, or, or millennials or whatever? Yeah. So that is something that we still don't know why there's a lot of theories on why kids, um, get hit less, um, there are certain receptors that are present in the lungs that the virus has uh, um, gets entry to the lung cells that are theorized to be less in kids and more in adults. Um, so we still don't know because um, kids do get respiratory viruses, right? Like kids do do get these these illnesses. But I think in general, um, when you compare kids and adults, kids are tend to be more resilient. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's theories of like, like I said, the receptors that the virus get entry into the cells, certain things about uh, their immune system, their theories that, you know, they have not seen um, the family of coronaviruses before like adults have. So we were kind of exposed in the past. So there are a lot of fears, but nothing like solid. Mm. Um but, and, and there's been like huge, huge epidemiological studies out of China, we're talking thousands and thousands of children where they've seen that 80% have mild disease, mild to moderate disease and doesn't get to the severe disease. And there's very few deaths reported in children. Mm. Uh, so that, I don't think that should 100% make us like, complacent or saying like you know we can like just release our kids to the playgrounds and have them like you know not maintain social distancing but I think I think it 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 reassures me a little bit as a as a, as a pediatric provider um but not not totally because kids even if they don't get it they can be like these walking talking incubators and they can give it to kids with um, less perfect immune system or give it to their grandparents who were like uh, weaker immune systems. So um, I think, I think even though it disproportionately affects adults and adults with chronic medical diseases, 
um, we have we have been you know learning day to day about this virus that it can also affect younger people. It can also affect young people with no chronic medical conditions, and we don't entirely know why. We have theories. We have theories that perhaps the immune system goes haywire in certain people rather than others. So like when a virus infects you and me, we develop um, an immune system to fight it. Sometimes that immune reaction, it goes like overboard and that mm. causes more damage to our bodies than good. So that is some, thing, is some like manifestation we're seeing in patients who are deteriorating, that their bodies are attacking extra hard and our attacking the virus and attacking, for example, our lung cells. So our lung cells are this innocent bystander that just like gets destroyed. Whoa. And that's why we have... Uh, uh, people dying of um, acute respiratory distress syndrome. I don't know if you've heard of ARDS. These are this is the reason why uh, patients get intubated and sometimes not extubated. Wow. So it's like an interplay between the virus, yes, but it's also an interplay between how our bodies um, react to the virus, which is why vaccines is just just this phenomenal thing, right? Because in a vaccine, we kind of control. We attenuate the virus. We control the amount of virus we give to people so that your immune system is robust enough but will not go overboard. Gotcha. Okay. So that's why, like, we are crossing our fingers. I mean, the trials are ongoing. We are expected to have, a, hopefully, a vaccine in anywhere in, the, like, 12 to 18 months. Right. And that is and that's something rapid even for, for, for a vaccine. Um, Interesting. So, so I mean, um, for me, I'm I'm curious. So, um, there, there's a bunch of stuff there that I'd like to ask you about. But um, one is, how is it now when you're in in the hospital and you're working there? And and I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, you know, all the stories that come out of the U.S. is mostly out of New York, and um, you know how New York is like the epicenter, and there's so much happening there, and so many reported cases. Um, uh, I'm not sure how it is in Boston um, and how has that experience been for you? And did you see that you had to move your sort of um, uh, experience in one area to sort of like utilize you for other things, um, which is what I'm seeing happening in New York? Yeah, yeah. Um, so again, because I'm in a children's hospital, I don't see sort of the huge impact. And then I we see. have not reached our peak in Massachusetts yet. Mm. There are hospitals um, in the state where their ICUs have filled already, their hospitals that half of the patients in there are coronavirus positive. Um, but these are mostly in adult hospitals. But what's right. happened, even in like local hospitals in Boston, what's happening is that they're shutting their children's wards and they're sending their children to um, the hospital I'm working in because it's a bigger children's hospital to allow adult hospitals to room in. And then mm. they um, my peers across the country who are pediatrics or who are like pediatrics trained are now taking care of adults. So it's happening. We have not hit our peak. It's sort of like the quiet before the storm. And like, you can feel it. Like, it's almost like, when is it going to happen? It's the anxiety that it's like, you know, um, yeah. the of before, before the hit, because we know it's going to happen, right? We see New York and like, I mean, we know it's going to like sweep down the Northeast. So, um, so, so far, I mean, it's been busy, but it hasn't been hit as much as adult hospitals uh, in right. the state. And it's not in New York yet. Right. So, um, it's one thing that I see about this thing, and I was, and I, I like to ask this to healthcare professionals, is, the, um, is how unpredictable this virus has been. You know, the way it, um, it deals with people. The way it infects people is super different. You know, like every single day we read something and just a, a week later, almost a new thing happens where it's, um, it goes against what we, what we, uh, what we read. Like, for example, it, uh, it hits, it only hits old, like in the beginning it was only hits older people or people with um, underlying conditions. And then later we start seeing so many younger people get hit. Um, people in their 20s and people in their 30s and, and 40s. And, um, and some of them, you know, they, they pass away. So uh, what is it about this thing that we're not getting? Like, what is it that, why is it super difficult for us to grasp our, you know, uh, our understanding of this virus? So, I mean, it is, it is still disproportionately affecting older 
patients. Um, but when it does affect younger patients, um, there's like, you know, um, the studies have shown that their obesity rates are higher, um, that they still have comorbidities um, like diabetes and asthma and hypertension. Um, there's theories of like, why is it affecting more young people in the US rather than Italy? And then they're like, well, we have more overweight and obese youth in the US compared to Italy. So it's not like we can like base one epidemiological study you know, that is in Italy and it's the same in Saudi and it's the same in, in the US, it's different. That's why we need data. We need data from the region too. We need data like how is it, how is it different in the UAE and Saudi compared to Italy compared to the US? Right. Uh, so there are nuances that the public will not know. They would like just read young people are dying, but then where are the young people from? You know, mm. it, is diff- the young the young people in Italy is different than the young people in the U.S. and the young people in China, so that's why getting data is key because without data, it's just fear driven. Um, but are there off cases where a young, previously healthy, you know, um, uh, person dies of this virus? Yes. Um, do we know why? We don't know why. There's like nuances of like how the immune system reacts. Like I said. Um, so it doesn't, it's not, it's not like it's contradicting the prior studies. It's more of, we know the majority of the population at risk, Mm. one or two off does not contradict the majority, if that makes sense. Right. In every, in everything in life, there's always going to be outliers. Um, so these are, so these are the outliers basically. Right. And and you were saying that uh, there's a difference between this SARS and the first SARS that happened. And I remember like back in 2003, I mean, I remember vaguely, um, people freaked out from, from that SARS. Um, but I was, I was, I was watching, um, I think, something on YouTube. I think that's what I always do now, right? I just watch stuff on YouTube about <laughs> coronavirus. Um, it's not healthy. Uh, so, uh, and, and it was saying something along the lines of... Um, you know, the one thing about the first SARS is that it was a dumb virus where it showed, you know, doctors right away that you were sick. Whereas with this one, it hides itself sometimes for a week or two and nobody knows that you've got anything going on. Um, is this, and you were saying earlier, does it's 80% similar to the first one. They both have very similar characteristics. Um, what is that 20% though? Like, what is that 20% that makes this one so different than the first one? One big difference is that the SARS-CoV-2, which is the current COVID-19 disease, um, it's a, there's a longer, uh, what we call asymptomatic phase. So a longer phase where, um, people don't show symptoms, but they're infectious and that's key. Right. Like for the regular flu, you're infectious 24 hours before you um, uh, before you exhibit symptoms. That's why, like in, um, in in hospitals and infection control, whenever I get calls of like how uh, how long do we need to isolate for? I know what to do for the flu. Right. Um, for SARS CoV one, so the first SARS, that period was super short. If you get symptomatic, we know we, you have not been shedding the virus for a long time. Mm. Uh, but with this coronavirus, um, that period is extended. You are shedding the virus and you are infectious, even though it's asymptomatic, which is why this whole campaign of flattening the curve and social distancing is key mm. because a lot of young people could be shedding the virus and could be spreading the virus even though even though they're asymptomatic mm-hmm. um, so that mm-hmm. is what uh sort of the very big key difference right um, and then there are you know the mers and sars-cov-1 they had higher mortality so like if the virus hits you the chances of you dying are more in mers and sars-cov-1 than covid right um covid the reason you see it's very dramatic because the spread is super fast. And so when the spread is super fast, you're seeing more and more um, deaths rather than right. like the MERS and the SARS-CoV-1. Well, it's scary because like you start thinking about how, when do people go back to the regular life 
you know, and that seems like a distant thing because, um, you know, like concerts and flying and, and yeah. uh, just gatherings, that doesn't seem like it's anywhere on the horizon for the next, you know, I mean, even like just to bring a local example, uh, Dubai moved to the uh, Expo or proposed to move the Expo 2020 till 2021 because, you know, there's just no way they can have it this year with yeah. all that's happening, you know? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I mean, when do people start relaxing? You know, when, when do you, in, in your view, like when do you think, you know, okay, we could start relaxing when this happens or when that happens? Because I know I heard about flattening the curve and that kind of thing. But what do you think? I think we need we need to be a point where I think the earlier aggressive measures taken, the sooner we will go back to our new normal. And I right. say our new normal because I don't think we can go back to entirely our uh, our pre pandemic normal. Um, and it's like what the UAE is doing. It has taken more strict measures, more aggressive measures of lockdown, um, of uh, uh, school closures and working remotely earlier. I think in a perfect setting, in a perfect like world, if I can test everybody and I know the burden of disease and I know who have, like if I can test everyone and have those who are positive isolate for two weeks recover that's when I could like maybe open or, or like allow things if I if I if I run the show right uh, but I don't run the show and we're not in a perfect world and we can't do population-based testing I know that UAE is trying to do it and it's been testing like crazy I think it has the highest testing rate in the world and yeah. I think that that's that's the way to go right because it's important to a identify your high risk groups, do massive, massive testing. And it's all about like data. Like I said, when you have enough data, you can have less fear because you know what you're dealing with right, right now. We don't know what we're dealing with because we don't know the, um, the basically weight of the issue. So I would say identifying your high risk groups, education, and then testing, testing, like there's no tomorrow and then strengthening your healthcare system um, in the sense that um, if they can accommodate, they can accommodate the sicker ones. Because like I said, not 80, you know, 80% will not need an ICU, but you need to be prepared for the 20%. Mm. And you need to like up your healthcare resources. You need to universally test to know what you're dealing with. And you need to protect your high risk groups. Um, and your immunocompromised and those who can be hit by the by by the disease, and then honestly, we might be getting to um, closer to a new normal if we have a vaccine and we start like vaccinating people. Right. But I, before that, I mean, I, I know like there are countries in Europe who are doing it, who are like testing um, people for their immunity. Again, we we still don't have like studies to know if you test immune, are you at risk of getting reinfected? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are cases from South Korea that people who have recovered have, have gotten reinfected. That number is small, but again, it's always fast changing in, in COVID, uh, these days. Um, the good thing about coronavirus is that it's not as, uh, rapidly mutating as the influenza. Mm-hmm. That's why, um, when you, whenever you have the flu season, you hear of people who get the flu shot and be like, I still got the flu. Um, but they get the milder flu Um, and you need to get, you need to sort of uh, have a vaccine that can keep up with the different strains of influenza because the flu virus keeps mutating. The good is that the coronavirus does, it's not like a hyper mutated um, or mutating virus. And so to answer your question, I think universal testing, identifying high risk groups um, and uh, just strengthening your healthcare system um, maybe we can go back to a new normal. And then once we have the vaccine, we can go back to normal. Kind of, kind of normal. Um, yeah, it's actually fascinating because when you look at the UAE and, uh, I mean, you know, living here, um, I've been here, uh, you know, we've been, my wife and my kid and, you know, we're, we've been stuck at home for, you know, a month now. I mean, you know, before the total sort of, um, sterilization program kicked in, uh, which was us sitting at home for 24 hours. Um, 
before that you could at least go out to the supermarket and stuff like that without taking a permit. Um, but I think we're nearly 600,000 tests, which is kind of an insane number if you think about it. Like it's an insane amount of tests that have been done, you know, For and- 9 million populated country, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's good. And, but then you think about it, and, and like you said, when you look at the numbers and you look at your, um, you look at the data and then you start understanding what you're dealing with, 600,000 and then your confirmed cases are about 3,700. You know, that's, those are pretty, those aren't bad odds. You know I mean? I think the, the total number of deaths in the UAE is about 20. Um, mm-hmm. so, so I think we're still in a good place. You know, I think we're still in the, I mean, not the best place, obviously, because I'd rather not have this at all. But, um, but I think in, in all things considered, I think we're not in a bad place so far. Um, and I think the contr- the, what's happening in terms of control, it's, it's being contained quite well. Um, yes. and, and there's a lot of transparency. I feel like every day there's reports and there's a press conferences happening and that kind of thing, which, which are super, super helpful and super, um, you know, um, it's reassuring for the people who are sitting at home. Absolutely. Um, I, think, I think the transparency that happened with this um, is, 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 is very impressive. I mean, I don't remember the same thing happening for MERS. I don't know if you, I don't remember you know, um, the public getting updates about that is X number of, you know, um, yeah. MERS. And, and I don't even so, know if we, did we have MERS in the UAE? Was it? I mean, it was mostly in Saudi, but we did have MERS. Really? Uh, okay. So it was something that um, like the healthcare workers knew about, but not the public. Mm. And there's always a balance of like, do you cause um, fear? Um, with the post, so I w- I'm very, very proud of how the UAE from the get-go has been very transparent. I remember, I mean, the first um, uh, cases in the Middle East was from Dubai. Um, right. And so that was very early on. I just remember looking and I'm like, that is a bold move for a hub to say, yo guys, we have the first case. <laughs> yeah. A returning family from um Wuhan, China. Right. And then I've been just very impressed with the transparency uh, of the UAE, um, uh, especially like, you know, utilizing social media, having the uh, Department of Health constantly tweet out numbers. Um, and I just want to like, for whoever is listening to us, the numbers that you see today is not reflective of the infections today. This is a reflection of a lag of two weeks. Right. Because it takes time for you to get infected. So I don't think that, um, especially in the UAE context, I'm not talking about the US, but in the UAE, I think, like I agree with you, I think the numbers are still um, manageable um, just because the simple fact that the country took uh, action um, early and it took action um, in, a, in, a, in, a bold, in a bold way as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, I, I guess it's, it, I, I've, I've consumed all of Twitter you know, right now. And I feel like I've read everything. <laughs> I just feel like there's so much information in my mind. You know, I just, you know, it's, it, I, I just want to go back out. <laughs> I just want to, yeah. you know, it's want to go for a, for a dinner. Like I was, me and my wife's like the way we talk now, we're talking about like, Hey, what restaurant do you miss? You know, like what's yeah. your, uh, you know, and yesterday was our anniversary actually. And, um, oh. Yeah, it was. <laughs> usually, we travel for our anniversary, or we do something like special. But obviously, now we're like trapped at home. So, yeah. um, so we just pretended. Like my wife had her phone, so she put like the sound of a restaurant in the background, and we pretended to order <laughs> to order from a from a waiter, and like you know. Uh, so suffice it to say, we, we really miss going out. Um, but I want to ask you just a couple more things before I let you go. Um, you said, uh, the, the new normal, like, uh, does the new normal, um, is that mean like a sort of a phased approach to going back to society? Like, is it a phased thing until we get to a vaccine where we feel like, all right, I guess we can go out in big groups again. Like, I, how hope, do you- I hope so. I mean, people are talking about, we will never go back to normal. Cause yeah, and- I don't get that. Like, what is, what, what is that context of never going back to normal? What does that mean? I mean, it, it means that, you know, 
the the coronavirus is not seasonal. It's not it's not like the flu where it, you know comes in the winter and it goes in the summer. So it, it is a it is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and I think and I think when people say we're never going to go back to the normal normal, um, meaning that we're always going to be um, hyper alert, hyper vigilant um, about you know um, a new pandemic pandemic happening, and mm. you know. It's not a matter of if it will happen. It's a matter of when it will happen at this point because viruses are just, viruses are smarter than us. Um, they have a way to uh, mutate, integrate, jump from animal to human. I think, like I, like I go back to my first point, it is the lessons that we learn from this pandemic um, that we take with us is what will help us because if, if, I will say when, I'm not going to say if we, when we get out of this pandemic, what lessons will we learn in terms of prioritizing healthcare systems? What lessons will we learn in prioritizing, you know, even the economy, the way businesses handle their employees? We've seen like horrible stories about, you know, employees losing their jobs and stuff like that is not, you know, our economies are fragile. So like this virus is basically unmasked um, uh, areas that we need to work on, you know, do we right. need to work more on like telemedicine? Do we need to work more on like, you know, learning from, you know, um, uh, e-learning and all, and all that. So this is an opportunity for us. So I think that's what they mean by we can't go back to our new normal because, if we go back to, sorry, we can't go back to our old normal because if we go back to our old normal, we haven't learned anything. Our new normal would be not all meeting, not all meetings can be, you know, should be meetings. It can be through emails, you know, telemedicine, just like, um, you know, and like e-learning and all that. Hmm. So I think that's what they mean by that. And then also, um, this is not going to be our first, um, this is not going to be our first dance with a pandemic or a virus. You know, it's going to it's going to happen again. And when it happens again, we'll be prepared. And I think um, I'm an optimist or, you know, optimist slash realist by nature. And I think um, it is a test. It is an ultimate test to our own humanity. And, um, you know, just just lessons of us to be better people. Like you said, you miss going out. I, I miss, like, I kick myself, um, for the days I would like, my friends would call me up and be like, you want to go out? I'm like, no, this couch is more comfortable. I'm going to stay in. I still <laughs> kick myself for like, you know, posting people on their plans and not going out. And I'm, I'm a pretty social person. So just like, you know, just knowing, you know, things that we take for granted. Like I, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm working right now. I'm in, I'm, you know, um, I'm in the front lines. And so I can't, I mean, I, I my family's in the UAE, so I can't see them. I can't get on a plane and see them. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Uh, there are things that we take for granted. Like, you know, my, my sister's in the same city actually, and I can't go and give her a hug because I'm in the hospital and she's not. So things that we take for granted, we should just like be more appreciative of. So, yeah. That's a good point. Um, yeah, I was thinking uh, this is more like it, it seems to me that this kind of feels like nature's revenge, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I have a theory. It's like this whole thing started. I mean, you know, from what we know so far, I'm not going to I'm not a scientist by any stretch, but, um, you know, from the wet markets in China. Right. So um, and. And it just seems like when you look at the history of the wet markets and the, 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 the amount of animal cruelty that happens to the wildlife there, you know, um, and the amount of people around the world who didn't really care, you know, like, yeah, well, that's, that's their problem. Um, just because we didn't want to disrupt economies or supply chains or whatever. It seems to me that nature has revolted back, you know, and they're like, and now we're tasting that, you know, so I'm not getting into conspiracy theories here, but just I've spent a lot of time at home over the past month and I'm thinking a lot. So, so it just yeah. seems like, you know, it's just, we got to stop these wet markets, you know, we got to stop these, 
you know, these areas where viruses, where we treat animals like shit and, and, you know, because of that, their, their, their fluids and all that goes over each other and, and they see other animals get slaughtered in front of them. And, you know, it's just, it's a cruel place, but also it's a really dirty place. And, and it got me thinking that maybe we should stop these wet markets because it seems like it's an area where viruses are born and they spread. And that's, I think, so happened to SARS before, right? That's the first SARS. It was, it was from these sort of markets, if I'm understanding it correctly. Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot, a lot of the viruses um, jump from, I mean, there's animal to animal transmission and they had, you know, it takes one mutation, it takes one interaction to jump from animal to human. What I would say about that, I mean, I, uh, for my birthday a week ago, again, I'm losing count of my days, I went on a solo hike uh, in Rockport, it's like an hour away. That's why I drove an hour away to like be away from humans and to maintain <laughs> social distancing. <laughs> very distant. Very distant. And I was like, my hike ended up like near the ocean and it was just an amazing view. And I remember just like standing there and being like, wow, the world just is ravaging in this pandemic and mother nature just like exists, just continues yeah. And, you know, we've heard reports of dolphins coming back in Venice and like the pollution improving in China. Again, what are the lessons learned? The lessons learned is, are we going to be more uh, kinder to animals? Are we be more kinder to Mother Nature and to the planet that we live in? Because last time I checked, we didn't have enough planet to migrate to if, you know, we screwed up this one. Yeah. Uh, so I mean it's the only place we got so yeah in the bigger picture I think it's all about like self-reflection and all about like what are we gonna do differently um you know just you know marketing of the rare endangered animals and 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 all of that and yeah and just like ruining our planet and for once mother nature is taking a break because like while we're at home social distancing it's actually trying to fix itself right um it's so crazy it's so crazy it's so crazy i swear it's so surreal like just every day i wake up and i i i, I know that i cannot leave the house because of an invisible thing outside it's such a crazy surreal idea you know it's like i've never thought i would be living in this because you know you, you'd read about things but like you'd read about the, the Black Plague, you know, and yeah. and you'd think like, oh, thank God, and live in those times, you know? Um, yeah. Even it goes back. Thing, yeah, sorry. One thing I just want to like, you know, to wh- whoever's um, listening to us, I think, and I understand how it's hard to be self-quarantined at home. Believe me, before I started, uh, I was two weeks because my clinics and my classes were canceled and I was doing research. I went bonkers. I'm like, Take me back to the hospital. I need to I need to get out. But it's a privilege to self-quarantine, to be able to self-quarantine, right? It right. is an absolute privilege because, you know, we hear places like India who are like enforcing lockdown and like we cannot self-quarantine. We do not have safe places and quarters and running water, et cetera, et cetera. So A, it's a it's a privilege to self-quarantine. Mm. B, they need to think about the people who can't self-quarantine, who cannot just stay at home and who need to to go to work and not just like healthcare workers think about like the you know people who work in groceries people who clean the hospitals you know so i think i i get it trust me i get it like i get that this i think because at our at our core we are social beings at our core we need interaction and Mm -hmm it will get to us. And that's why I, I was very pleased to hear that the, the UAE is taking um, initiatives for like uh, free mental health um, counseling and all of that, because it will get to us. Like the average person, the, it will get to them psychologically before the virus ever gets to them. Or the right. virus. So I think one of my take home messages for people who are going absolutely bonkers at home just to realize that it is a privilege and to think of the people who cannot self-quarantine and when this is all over to just be kinder and nicer to each other. Yeah. Well, I hope so. I I hope that's our new normal. That's. (laughs) I I, I hope so too. I hope that. (laughs) Well, Fatima, I, I really, really, really appreciate your time. 
I took an hour of your time and um, I hope that, um, you know, uh, things work out there. I hope it doesn't get as bad as it did in New York. And I hope, you know, the curve flattens much, much, much quicker. Um, I mean, I'm seeing numbers getting revised every day in the U.S., which is great. I mean, yeah. still bad, but but it's it's better than the every projection that comes out is actually better than the week before it. So, so hopefully these keep getting revised and hopefully it doesn't have, get as bad as everybody thought it would. And um, I, yeah, I appreciate your time. I think it was a very good conversation and, um, and I'm so glad that we got to meet and uh, yeah. 7,800 miles away meet. Well, you, you really counted the miles. That's 7,800. I'll keep that in mind. I think being away from home for six years, I do. My family remind me of the distance and I do know the distance. Um, how, how often do you visit Dubai? Uh, well, I, I lived in D.C. three years prior to this and then in Boston. This is my third year. So now there's a direct flight from Boston to Dubai. I try to go home twice a year. Okay. Uh, have like a month they get like a month vacation. So I try to split two weeks, two weeks. And so I try to go for, uh, and like every time I go, it's like Dubai changes on me. Right. So, and I'm sure you choose the good months, not the summer months. Oh, absolutely. I go in the wind. I go, I go when like people get frostbites here. I just go and like chill. Chill in Dubai is great weather. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck. And, the fight that you're fighting and yeah thank you so much thank you uh and good luck on uh, your podcast and hopefully uh inshallah one success to, to the other yeah hopefully you're you're episode two of my coronavirus series i got one more and then i think i'll be done with talking about coronavirus for the next break man yeah you need, we all need a break from coronavirus. Break. i'm gonna talk about comedy on the next one i know i know it's like my job so i cannot not talk about coronavirus but <laughs> but that's what everybody cares about right now right that's what you know you, you give them something and they're like ah, you know i don't really care tell me more about coronavirus when are we going to get out of our houses i can't wait for the new normal not to talk about coronavirus that's that's <laughs> what I can't so many wait. new normals we can't wait for i know i know well <laughs> have right. a good uh, evening so have a good night thank uh, you and right? have a good day thank you thank you <laughs> it's very nice meeting you all right thank you